Well, good morning again, Rock Hill friends. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Can we just say, again, thank you to our team that led us today for all generations worship. Just such a pleasure to be part of that. When I was a child, uh, we played outside a lot. My brother and I, my mom would uh, invite us to go outside and then lock the door, and we wouldn't be let back in, if you know what I mean. Different era now. And uh, we would just play outside until the street light came on and we'd come home or she would ring a bell. And what I mean by a bell, like uh, it was a bell that was on our, uh, my, my generations ago property and, and it was a full bell that you pulled the lever and it kind of swung back and forth. Anyway, so we, if we were in earshot of that, we would come uh, home. Uh, we didn't have pagers yet and so uh, that just dated me a little bit. But we would come home, and when we'd come home, uh, we were kind of a board game kind of family, and so we'd play a lot of board games and card games, and one of the board games that my brother and I were uh, destined to play a lot was this little game called Shoots and Ladders. Uh, now, in Shoots and Ladders, there's a couple of boy characters and a couple of girl characters. My, my older brother, he would always make me be the girl. I mean, like, he'd punch me, like, you're going to be the girl. I'm like, okay, and so uh, then black eye later, and I'd be the girl. So uh, we'd have these shoots and ladders, and the goal of shoots and ladders, I mean, the, the, the strategy of shoots and ladders is pure luck, unless you read your Bible, and maybe you believe a little bit in some divine providence, but uh, there's this sense where you, you spin a dial, and you get a number, and you take your character, and you move those many steps. It's very simple. Your hope is to get a ladder to go up. But if you hit a slide, you went down. Now, we all know slides are way more fun than ladders. But anyway, it has this somewhat parallel to life, doesn't it? Life is filled with these uh, imaginary ladders. These imaginary ladders. It's usually a ladder that we look at, a ladder of success, a ladder of comparison. And we begin to see other people's lives, and we see what they have, we see what they're wearing, we see where their vacations are, we see what they drive, and then maybe we look at that they're at the same life stage as we are, and we begin to be a little bit discontent with where we are. It happens suddenly in life, and so what do you do? You just begin to climb the ladder higher and higher, only to realize the next rung you get to, you're not any more satisfied than you were before, in fact, you might be even more dissatisfied. And discontentment in life can be really dangerous, particularly when it's combined with envy. Discontentment with envy, longing with, for what somebody else has, actually is like throwing a match on gasoline. It will blow up in your face. Now, there's two sides to discontentment. Discontentment can be good. Did you know that? Discontentment can be good. In fact, if you're discontent with your health, it can motivate you to walk or to watch what you're eating and be mindful of those things. That's, that's good. Or discontent in your marriage can be good because you realize something is off between us. I'm feeling distant from you, so let's work on that. Is there sin that I need to confess to you? Is there a way that I can serve you and love you in a more tangible way? That's good discontentment. There's, there's bad discontentment. If you're discontent in your health and you make that your priority and all of a sudden all you are is a gym rat but you're never home, you're never caring for your family, that can be a really negative thing. Or in your marriage, if you're discontent, what often happens is couples get discontent in their marriage and they start uh, emotionally and uh, passively flirting with somebody else that they think might fill whatever they 
think they're lacking in their marriage, and, and then they'll begin to do all kinds of really wicked and evil things and sinful things, and they wonder, why is my marriage in shambles? And it's all because they were discontent. But Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, Solomon wants to show us how we ought to have godly contentment. In fact, Solomon will show us today that contentment in life is not found in what we have or what we pursue, but who pursues us. Contentment in life is not found in what we pursue, it's found in who pursues us. And you might think uh, the Ecclesiastes lacks the gospel. It doesn't lack the gospel. Ecclesiastes shows us our great need for the gospel, our great need for the gospel. All right. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes is going to show us here that contentment in life is not found in what we pursue, but who pursues us. It's going to show us, not the, doesn't like the gospel, but it's going to show us our need for the gospel. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, starting in verse 1, if you're there, will you say word? Look at this. He says, here is a tragedy. Welcome to church. Here's a great tragedy. I have observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity, God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself, but God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes to futility, and he goes in darkness, and his name is shrouded in darkness, although a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it, is more rest, it has more rest than he. And if a person lives a thousand years twice, but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place? All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage then does the wise person have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see, better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. This may be some of the darkest verses in all of the book. Ecclesiastes here, what I think Solomon is trying to do is, is show us how we ought to have godly contentment. And the first thing you've got to do to have godly contentment, you've got to confront dissatisfaction. To be godly content, to have contentment in life, you've got to confront whatever dissatisfaction you're working on and you have in your life. Now, now notice in verse one, Solomon is, is, if in chapter five his gaze was above the sun, now his gaze is now back to everyday life. He, he talks about, in verse one, everything that's under the sun. So he says, I, here's a tragedy I observed. Under the sun, everything that's down here now, I'm looking around and I, I'm looking at all these things and I'm, I'm noticing that under the sun that this is a great tragedy. It weighs heavily on him. And what is he referring to? The riches, the wealth, and the honor that one, ha one can have in life. And so if we're going to address the, and confront the dissatisfaction that we have in life, we've got to do two things. So here's two things under this first point. The first thing is that we've got to see God's good 
provision. And then secondly, we gotta see God's hard providence. So here it is. When you look at this verse, you have to begin to realize that Solomon is gonna have a, a God-centeredness to all of this. He's gonna have a Godward view. Even though he's under the sun, he's observing all that he has, and he's realizing, he's realizing that uh, God is somewhat behind all of it. He, he will say that he, he's looking at the, the dissatisfactions of life, how he's gained all these things, He'll even say in verse 10 of chapter five, he says, the person who loves money, they'll never be satisfied with it. This dissatisfaction in life and disappointment in life actually touches all of us. Did you know that in the Garden of Eden, disappointment and dissatisfaction was somewhat birthed there? I mean, in the garden, God has given Adam and Eve everything. We're, We're in the first pages of this holy book and in those first pages, all of a sudden, God has said, you can have anything that you want. Just don't eat of that tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they felt like God was keeping something from them, which, by the way, is that not where dissatisfaction and disappointment in life comes from, thinking that we deserve something, but we've not been given it? And, and so, uh, we, we understand that from the beginning of time, we have had this moment where we have been dissatisfied or discouraged or maybe disenfranchised with the life that we have. And Solomon is wanting us to confront this dissatisfaction. So the first thing he tells us is we gotta, we gotta see, and I'm just gonna delete this real quick, that it is God who gives our good provisions. And what are those provisions? Riches, wealth, and honor. So here we have, to confront your dissatisfaction in life, you've got to see that it is God who is the giver of all the things that you have. Now, he doesn't say riches, and he doesn't say wealth, and he doesn't say that honor are evil things. He says, God is the one who has given me these things. It's God who has given these things to me. He's recognizing that in his life, all that he has is because God has given it to him. You tracking with me? You've got to see that everything you have is from him. Let me, let me ask you a question. This question has haunted me all week. Ever since Monday. What if God removed everything in your life that you have not thanked him for? What if God removed everything from your life that you have not thanked him for? In that moment, I began to go, Lord, thank you for avocados. Lord, thank you for toothbrushes, right? Lord, thank you for socks, and thank you for a heater that can then transition to an air conditioning, and then that can transition to a heater within 24 hours. Lord, thank you for that, right? I begin to thank you for all kinds of things. Here's our problem in the West. I'm gonna get real personal. Like, we think... um, we're so used to having possessions, we think we deserve them. Not only do we think we deserve them, we think we should have them. And when we don't have them, we get mad. We get disgruntled. We, we begin to even blame God for the reasons why we don't have these things. Uh, I, last Sunday, 
when my phone blows up on a Sunday morning before I've even gotten to the, where the church meets, it's, already it's going to be a bad day, right? Jonathan's calling me. Kevin's calling me. Others are texting me. The electricity had gone out at the church. Now, it's like 6, 7, 8, I don't even remember what time. Well, I just know that it was too early for anybody to call me, right? And so, I don't know if you've looked around this room, that when the lights are out in this room, we're not gonna give an example, but when the lights are out in this room, it's pretty dark. Like, you wanna be like a little creeped out? Just, just come here midday and just sit. I mean, I, I've been in here before, just, just praying. I don't wanna turn the lights on. I don't wanna waste energy. And somebody will turn the lights on and they see me like, ah! You know, it's like, ah, got, got them again, right? Just, I'm just waiting all day in here for somebody to come in. It's like, I'm scared. So we're scrambling. We got... The first service is going to be in the fellowship hall, so we're gathering all those things. We've got to ask a Sunday school class to not meet in there, which is really unfortunate. We don't want to do that. It's just the only space we got for that many people because it's got windows. And then we're setting up in the foyer, trying and get, man, we're all in. Deacons are showing up with, with work boots on, you know, and, and they're, they're ready to go and, and make it happen. And then at 8, about 8.12, 8, all, all the electricity comes back on. Now, mind you, when the electricity went out, one of my first questions was, when is it coming back on? And the answer to me was 10 a.m. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. 10 a.m., I mean, we got a service at 8.30, we got a service at 9.45. 10 a.m. is after that. What are we gonna do with all these people that the Lord has blessed us with? How are we gonna meet? And then the electricity comes back on. But I wanna be honest with you and tell you that when I heard 10 a.m., in my heart and in my spirit, I said, That's not fair. Lord, why are you so mad at our church that of all the churches in Henderson County, and I only know this because I had a meeting with other pastors in Henderson County, and they said, you're the only church that lost electricity. I thought, you know. Anyway. <clears throat> like, but what if you were, um, what if you were keenly aware that all that you have is a gift from God? That would change your day, wouldn't it? I, like today, maybe an application for you is that you just take some time and just list out all the things that God has blessed you with. You'd be amazed. It'd be a long list. And, and Solomon goes, man, God, God gives. You gotta recognize to confront, to confront dissatisfaction in life, you gotta realize the giver has given you these things. It may not be as much as you want, but look what he says, so that he lacks nothing. Like you think you're lacking something, but he says, no, 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 I have literally given you riches, wealth, and honor. He lacks nothing of all that he desires for himself. So God has given us this great, great gift. You've got to recognize this. Our problems, we assume provision, and we think we should have it, but God is the giver. You gotta gotta also see this, because if we just land there, there's there's more to it. He he also, to to confront dissatisfaction, you gotta see God's good provision, but but then you need to see that that God gives a hard providence. this This is where it gets hairy for us. I think we give the devil way too much credit in our lives. The devil did this to me. Anytime something bad happens, oh, this is what, the devil's at work. 
Man, he can't be everywhere. Stop giving him that kind of credit. Only God is omniscient, omnipresent. Stop it. That's my theological talk for the day, all right? He says, look what he says. I'm deleting this just so you can see. So God gives, but God, God, but God does not allow him to enjoy them. God has given him good provision. God has given him good things. God has given us good things. And yet, Solomon's also saying, but God has not allowed me to enjoy them. You know, the things you received and enjoying those things are two different things. And so we have here this, I, I call it a hard providence. It's, it's a, a sweet and bitter providence that the Lord has given to Solomon. Now, I don't know the exact circumstance, but I do know that he's seeing all that he has and he's realizing, man, I can't enjoy all of this. Now, remember, Solomon wrote, I think, the Song of Solomon as a young man. I think he wrote the book of Proverbs kind of midway through life. And I think he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes on the the bookend, the end of his life. Looking back, I don't know all the scenario. I don't know exactly what was going on. But I sit back and go, as one commentator said, Solomon had the acquisition without satisfaction. The acquisition without satisfaction. He's realizing he's not going to be able to enjoy all these things that he thought he was going to have. A great tragedy. He, he actually calls it a sickening tragedy. It makes his bowels turn out. It's a terrible thing. So he says, man, I'm realizing that all these things that I've accumulated, and let's just be honest, if social media existed in Solomon's day, oh man. The houses, I mean, they'd just do an entire season on, you know, cribs, and he'd have a show on cribs, it'd be a whole season just of his cribs, he'd, he'd be able to show you all the drink that he had, all the food that he was able to eat, and, and we know from scripture he had many, many women at his disposal that he could use for whatever he wanted to do and I mean let's just be honest I mean he'd, he'd be even more popular than that young lady Taylor Swift I mean you know come on here's what Psalms 39 6 says watch this a person goes about like a mere shadow indeed they rush around in vain gathering possessions without knowing who will get them your stuff will not satisfy you. And I think, I think God is helping Solomon see, hey, Lord, God has given me all these things, riches, wealth, honor, but he's not letting me enjoy them because, because life isn't found in those things. More money, or as the theologian says, more money, more problems. More money does not bring enjoyment who brings enjoyment? Only God can bring enjoyment, my friend. Only a life that has God at the forefront of your mind and heart can bring you satisfaction in life. These things don't satisfy. I mean, how many of us have gone to an all-you-can-eat and walked away thinking you were satisfied only to make room for dessert? I mean, dessert is evidence that you, you didn't eat a great meal. That's just my opinion. Do you remember, um, this is part of the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes. Do you remember our sweet friend Job? 
the enemy comes and he says, the world's a muck. There's no one that worships you. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And the enemy says, well, that's because you've protected him. And God says, well, go after it. And so in one day, he, you know, his, all of his kids die, all of his income goes away, all of his possessions are burned up. And he's sitting there, and we learn in chapter one of the book of Job, uh, he, he, he makes his claim, he says, uh, look, naked I came into the world, naked I will return, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and, and it says in the next verse, verse 22, it says, and in everything that Job did, he did not sin or blame God. He did not get mad at him. And his wife says in the following verse, you should just curse God and die. What a wonderful woman. We wonder why the enemy took everything away from Job except his wife. I'm sorry. Abby's not in here, so I'm clean. I'm free. I'm good. And he looks at her and he says, would we not receive both good and hard from the Lord? Would we not receive it? A hard providence. It's a sickening tragedy, he says, that somebody else is going to enjoy all these things. I don't know what you're facing, but some of you are facing some circumstances that you're not sure what you're going to do. But, but what, if, what if just for a moment you actually went to God and said, God, I've been angry and bitter about my circumstance. But friend, can I just tell you, God is bigger than your circumstances. I mean, whatever the diagnosis was, you feel like it's too much, God's bigger than your diagnosis. Like, you're facing a why in the road of life, God's, God's bigger than the why. You're facing a financial hurdle, you're not sure how you're going to get over it, God's bigger than that. God is too small. You look to God and say, God, forgive me for being bitter and angry towards the things that have been landed in my life. Those things are there so that I might see that you are the giver of of all things. And you know what is best. So if we're going to confront dissatisfaction, you've got to see God's good provision and God's hard providence. And here we might even say and talk about forgiveness and the grace of God and the love of God and his care for you. But what if we did what Isaiah says? It says, look at his wounds because it's by his wounds that you're healed. How are we made whole? The, the hardest providence of all providences. The son of God dying in our place. And Isaiah says, when you look at the wounds of the Messiah, that's where you're gonna find your healing. So maybe you need to look at his wounds today. Okay, I've gotta move forward. The second thing you gotta do, you gotta consider your soul. You gotta consider your soul. Now we gotta look at the Hebrew here for a second. Look at verse three. Verse three says, a man may father 100 children. I love having kids. Now, Solomon's using hyperbole. I love my children, and I love people having lots of children. Lots of children are a gift. 100 children's a little much. Boy, the first service even laughed better than that. Okay, my father, 100 children. Okay, and you may live many years. No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Now listen, friends, some of us in this room have walked through a miscarriage. There is a particular quiet brokenness that happens for women and men who have walked through that kind of tragedy. It is a tragedy. There's a quiet, we don't know how to talk about it. We really don't. It's hard. Grandmas who have a child 
grandchild who goes through a miscarriage. We don't know what to say. What Solomon here, he's not bringing lightness to it. He's just saying, look, to have all these things, to have all, live a long time, have a, a, your quiver full of children, uh, but to not be able to enjoy these things, it, it is, it's, it's better off to never have been born is what he's getting at. Look at verse four. I don't have verse four. I have verse seven. Let's jump down to seven. Verse seven says, all of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. This is where I'm gonna get to soul. This Hebrew word for appetite is nephesh, and nephesh literally means soul. So he says, all of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet his soul is never satisfied. Uh, a buddy of mine, preacher friend in Houston, church planter, He's telling me about his son. His son's a teenager, can't drive yet, but his son's a teenager and worked as a lifeguard all summer long so that he could have some money. And so he went to his dad. I mean, you know, we're talking, it's, it's, it was January at this time. And he went to his dad and said, Dad, how much money do I have left in my bank account? And he said, son, you've got, you got about $20 left in your bank account. He said, sweet. And he walks away. And then all of a sudden, a few 15, 20 minutes later, he hears the doorbell ring and his son jumps up and goes to the door. And then he walks in and he sits down. He has a Slurpee in his hand. His dad's like, where'd you get the Slurpee? He's like, DoorDash, dad. Now look, I don't know if you're aware of what the economy that I've just described to you, but the economy of a uh, Slurpee, if you get the right size, it's like $1.25 for a Slurpee. And you can go to any gas station, probably all gonna go now, to get a Slurpee. He got a Slurpee and then he asked for it to be delivered. DoorDash is a is a, a group of individuals who you place an order for something and they will bring it to your door. Amazing. He said, well, son, how much did that Slurpee cost? $17. <laughs> son, you spent $17 on a $1.25 Slurpee. Yeah, but it's so worth it, Dad. Right? Such a teenager. We work, we get hungry, we eat, we have less money, we then work, we get hungry, we eat, and we have to make more money because we get hungry. We eat. We're never satisfied is what he says. But he's not talking about just physical food. He's actually talking about our souls. Our souls never get filled up when we've got all these things, all the possessions of the world, all the, our, our, we think our appetite, our soul will be filled, and yet we're not filled up at all. He said it's this, it's this constant grind that we're going after, this, what I call a rat race. Our soul is not satisfied. It's good that you go to work. It's good that you work hard. It's good that you earn an income. But then you begin to realize, we've got to go to the grocery store. We've got to go out to eat. No matter what you do, it won't satisfy you. So I begin to ask in this text, okay, Solomon, give us a life hack. You know what a life hack is? It's where you can just, just do this, change this one thing, and it'll fix everything. So Solomon, okay, Solomon, if I remember, God came to you and said, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And Solomon prayed for wisdom. Okay, so, so help me here. Solomon, tell me what I need to do. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, what advantage does the wise 
person have over the fool? So Solomon tells us, hey, it doesn't matter if you're wise or if you're foolish, this is the reality. Well, okay, so Solomon, maybe if I just have more money, maybe if I'm more wealthy, that'll solve everything. Watch this life hack. What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? He's saying it doesn't matter if you're wise or if you're not wise or if you're rich or if you're poor. The reality is we're in, stuck in this constant searching for our souls to be filled, and it's why you need to confront your soul. Look at verse nine, last verse. We're almost done. Don't worry. Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind or the chasing after the wind. This phrase, wandering desire, same word in the Hebrew for appetite, nephesh, which is the same word for soul. Better for you to look at what you already have rather than wandering around, longing for something else, longing for another thing, longing for another experience, longing for another relationship, longing for another job, longing for another paycheck, longing for something else that you think will bring satisfaction. When Solomon is telling you it will not, it's futile, it's the pursuit of the wind. Solomon is saying, you've got to confront your soul. It's why so many, so many people will jump from relationship to relationship to relationship thinking that person can satisfy what I'm longing for here when Jesus says, I'm the only one that can bring satisfaction to your life. I'm the only one that can make you whole. You're feeling broken. You're feeling lost. You're feeling empty. I'm the only one. If you study it, Astronomy, you, you know that, uh, and I discovered this as a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing, but before they had you know, bifocals, they didn't know what was happening up in the sky. They just saw these bright lights at night, and so they began to call those stars, and then they saw stars that were moving, and so they called those planets. The word planet literally means wanderer. And so they would look up in the sky, and they would go, well, those stars stay, those stars move, and the name just kind of stuck, even though they're they're you know, gas, I don't wanna go near that one. It's gas and it's like rock or some think there's water on one of them other than the earth. The point is some of us in this room have been climbing a ladder like a bunch of wanderers. And we've reached the next rung and we look at somebody who's at our same life stage and we're still not satisfied because success genuinely is subjective. Like, like as a kid feeling called to ministry, I had one perception of what success was. But now that I'm kind of at my midway point in life over that hill, and running down fast? Success isn't those things. I'm more impressed now with how pastors finish than I am with how they started. How rare it is now to find a pastor who's been faithful to the Lord. That should not be. One of the hardest things in ministry of these last 25 years has been to watch people who for a season were following after God, actually following Jesus, and then only on the back end of their life to fall off the edge or something come out from their life that they've tried to hide. The enemy knows that. 
God knows it, and you need to be aware that in all of this, God may very well expose it so that you might trust in him. You gotta consider your soul. Some of us in this room have been wandering and searching for significance and thinking that it's in success or to be revered by those around us, and the whole time Solomon is saying, none of that is it. To, to, to be and have godly contentment, you've got to confront that dissatisfaction. And you have to consider what's going really on in your heart. And some of us in this room have pursued all kinds of benign things, thinking they would fill what only God can. This is what I love about God. He sees all of that. Like he reads your mail. You think I read your mail. I don't read your emails, but I don't read your mail. I don't come to your house. I mean, just this week, a man called, and I called him back because he had left a message. I don't know how you do it, but you're reading my mail. No, I'm not. Do you have cameras in my house? I don't want cameras in your house. God sees you. And the Heavenly Father knew this from the beginning of time, and he made a plan to rescue you and me. He, he sent, the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus lived what we couldn't live. And, and then Jesus dies a gruesome, hard death. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for one or two people. He died for everybody. And Jesus, he says, all who hear my voice respond. They will be called my children. And so by God's grace, he calls people to himself and your requirement and responsibility and you are held responsible for it is to respond to him. And when you respond in faith, he calls you his child. And the father loves his children far more than we love our own children. This Jesus came and he says, I have come to give you life. I'm the giver. You're the receiver. But friend, I need to ask you, have you received him? And when you receive him, no matter what hardship you're facing, you know that you can trust him. Listen, friends, lastly, you need to know that only God can satisfy your wandering soul. Only God can satisfy your wandering soul. So the question for you is, are you letting him? The Lord loves you. He cares for you. He's pursuing you. That's what good dads do. But have you received him? I wish. I wish I could make that decision for you. I wish that I could wave my hand and all of you who have not received Christ would receive him, but I, I, I can't do that. You must make that decision. And you may be here today, and today is a day where you've recognized, man, I've not seen God as the giver of my good things. And I've not seen God as even having given me some hard things because it's been in those hard things that I've praised him. You know, it's easy to praise the Lord when everything's good. But when things are hard, that's when you know where your faith is. And so maybe today you just need to say, God, I've not thanked you for a multitude of things and I wanna take some time and thank you. You can do that right now. I encourage you to do it. Or maybe for you,
If you've been wondering, you've been searching, and by God's grace, you're here today, and today's the day that you're going to trust in Christ. This is the day. This is the marker. This is the time you cross over that goal line of faith and say, I'm following Jesus. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to respond together. Father, thank you for the, just the good gift of being able to gather together. And Lord, may we respond to you in faith. Lord, for those in this room that haven't thanked you, may they take time to thank you. For those in this room that it's time for them to plant the flag, cross over that goal line of faith, trust you with their life, to admit their sin, to believe that only through Jesus they can be saved and confess you as Lord, surrendering their lives. Some have chased and climbed ladders only to realize the disappointment that next rung brings. Oh, but Lord, hmm, you meet us right in that disappointment. So Father, we're asking that would happen in this place by the power of your spirit. Spirit, 